Episode 139 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. So, we are very close to All In at Wembley, but our other favorite show about wrestling just wrapped up. It's Dark Side of the Ring Season 4. We touched on a few episodes here and there, but we're going to spend a little more time in depth about some uh, significant episodes and the characters and the storylines of them. It's a great, great show. Uh, if you're not caught up, there might be some spoilers in here, but, you know, it might get you inspired to check it out in seasons prior. So uh, we're going to hammer those episodes soon, but let's introduce you to the boys real quick. We're not going the Glendale. Steve's in the Writers Guild meeting on a conference call this evening because his. I'm sorry. Book, the I'm sorry, Man. Mike. This just came in. I believe he's he's crossing the picket line from the actors and uh, writers. <laughs> Right. He's, he's one of the scabs. I think he's one of the scabs. <laughs> he would be <laughs> that bastard. But anyway, yeah. Well, you just heard him. It's his good buddy down in Ohio. It's the man with the golden pipes. Gary Williams. What up, Gary? Watch me wallabies feed, mate. Watch me wallabies feed. They're a dangerous breed, mate. So watch me wallabies feed all together now. Tie me kangaroo down, sport. Tie me kangaroo down. If you watched AW last night, you saw a really funny segment just like this for Adam Cole and MJF. Hilarious. Great. Can't wait for what they're doing. Uh, so I had to pull out uh, a, another Australian uh, treat, Outback Jack, for tonight. Uh, but great, great, great angle. Um, they're really hitting a home run on their vignettes right now. Absolutely brilliant work. And uh, if you haven't checked them out, I guarantee they're somewhere on social media because they were last night's especially was extremely hilarious. And I hope I see the kangaroo kick come out um, in a week. Fucking a good to see you tonight, <laughs> Gary. And uh yeah, it's amazing that that song itself, with such like a kiddish, bouncy feel, yeah, was was a wrestler's intro <laughs> music. So, and Mike, I mean the lyrically, Mike, I, I still, I also want you to know, I don't know what is what's going on since we last talked about this, but every single time MJF is in the ring, he references the devil, and I'm telling you. If Mick Jagger does not show up, I am going to be just devastated. Same. Fucking A, man. If they book it right, he'll be there. He'll They'll be book there. it right. They got to. <laughs> They'll book it right. They got to book it right. They will. All right. That wasn't Charlie. They got to book line. it right. He's, he's over in Bayview. He's the man who keeps it freshly squeezed. Matt Michelson. What up, Matt? How are you? I am fantastic. I had a really good intro lined up tonight, but then something else just popped into my head. So here goes nothing. Hello, Wembley. 
Ah, very good. If only Val Venus made a surprise return at Wembley. Man, I that'd be cool. <laughs> Matt, Matt, he just did an interview with Briscoe and Bradshaw on their podcast, which by the what? way is a great podcast. Oh, Matt, you I, I'll send it to you. You have to listen to it. You it is absolutely to die for. He goes into all of the stories about. You know, and, and actually, the crazy part is he was actually. Oh, sorry for the segment, but or for the segue, but he was actually a super like he was an up and coming wrestler, and then got thrust into the porn star gimmick. And just the stuff he even talks about being in Jenna Jameson's house and all this. I mean, you have to listen to it. It's a great, great, great podcast. Sounds awesome. I'm not surprised to hear that. And part of the reason I always go back to the well with Val Venus is. His wrestling, if you go back and watch in the late 90s, early 2000s, the guy's technique was spot on. Yeah. And, you know, he, he talked, they talk about that on this. Um, Briscoe and Bradshaw's podcast, I think, is one of the one of the best ones right now. I mean, it, it does. It, it is a little bit more slanted for my generation, 80s wrestling, but uh, in territory days. But. They are they're 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 really good interviewers and it's such great banter and and I mean they've had um Curtis Hughes on Manny Fernandez uh Dory Funk they just had Don Fry on from MMA I mean they 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 do a really really good job uh, but I'll send the episode to you um and I hope the listeners maybe can catch it too because uh, you do reference him you you and rightfully so you will appreciate this because i think you will also appreciate even more so the talent that he was sounds great always fun to listen to other podcasts on the podcast <laughs> i think they referenced us a couple they keep referencing they keep bringing up this oh, kafabi, yeah. kafabi thing on on every time and it's great so i think we, we're getting royalties from them yeah they can't keep their na- our name out of their mouths but that's oh. okay. <laughs> totally fine yeah that makes sense why we got such a big boost lately and we'll probably get a bigger one because I bet a lot of other podcasts are covering Dark Side of the Ring season four. I mean, the show is just phenomenal. I've been enjoying it for years and years. And like you, like I mentioned a lot, you don't even have to love wrestling to appreciate this show. They had big men like Bam Bam Bigelow, GY, uh, JYD, the Junkyard Dog, Adrian Adonis, another big man. And then uh, not so big man, Marty Jannetty. But he does talk a lot very big it's he's kind of like a little dog with a big bark not a huge bite i thoroughly enjoyed this season i just recently got caught up with it um we didn't really talk about who would go first but maybe we would just go with uh someone like adrian adonis someone who was pretty misunderstood uh during that era for the character that he played and it was so counter to the man that he actually was, but they really uh, focused on his family life and how uh, much he loved his daughter and wanted to be with them. But uh, he had some, you know, like a lot of people on the show, a lot of demons and this guy was no exception, right, Gary? Yeah. I mean, Adrian Adonis was a phenomenal um, worker And I think that at a time that he came through, uh, especially when he emerged in the AWA, 
uh, he was coming at a time when, you know, the realism of wrestling, you know, was still at its height. And what Adrian was able to do was provide baby faces with this phenomenal comeback and his ability to get them over was was ahead of its time i mean his his in-ring ability was phenomenal in terms of how tough he was i mean he came from buffalo new york they talk a lot about that in the episode about how he he was a legit tough ass like you know in a gang and all of that kind of stuff but he was an amazing in-ring storyteller, which was not something that had really been perfected at this point. Uh, you know, he, his timing, his selling, the bumps he took, um, you know, he he wore the, in, in the middle of Minnesota twin country, he was wearing New York Yankees gear, which that in and of itself was a heat magnet. And then, you know, the part one of the parts that really struck me was in his younger days he he would have these 10 minutes for $10,000 matches where he would basically say you come in and you can kick my ass you win $10,000 and he literally would literally would kick the shit out of people and so um you know i i really enjoyed this episode because i i do think you're right Mike, that he was misunderstood because the last real iteration you saw of Adrian was when he decided to take on that, you know, the 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 persona of being a gay man, which he wasn't. And and what's really fascinating is remembering back to the 80s when that type of sexuality was actually hated. Mm-hmm. That to me, you know, you think about where we've come, you look at Bowen's now and his ability to take on that type of role as a, as a gay man in the ring and, um, and the, and the people are loving him and scissoring and all this stuff. And back then it was used as a heel magnet in a heat magnet. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like AIDS was going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was big, big stars like Freddie Mercury, George Michael, Elton John, all in the spotlight during that time. And people, I mean, the internet didn't exist back then. So you really didn't see, you know, all the world's ugliness come out against it. Thankfully, kind of, I'd say. But, you know, there's definitely people that opposed it. And, and wrestling mm-hmm. was one of those things that. You could really express yourself if you really hated it or not. So, yeah, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. It is pretty crazy. It's uh, hearing the part about how he used to have those $10,000 for 10 minute matches. You know, I I think of the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, offering to pay $500 for that kid who could dribble the basketball. Only this was a shoot and the fans actually got their asses kicked where, (laughs) you know, a five-year-old kid getting beat up on yeah. TV probably wouldn't have gone over so well. Not that this, yeah. I'm sure, did every time. But, yeah, a lot of craziness in the story. And I know, Gary, you and Steve have talked about Adrian Adonis in past episodes. Mm. I was not super familiar with him. I still don't feel like I am. I mean, obviously, Dark Side of the Ring tells you a lot of really crazy yeah. things. But that's that's the off-screen, mm-hmm. non-kayfabe side of things more than anything. So, yeah. Seeing him in the ring, I'm sure, is a lot different, though. Oh, yes. I mean, you guys, he and, you know, there's going to be a bit of a theme with some of 
well, there was a couple themes that are gonna that are that are woven into all of these. But what he and, um, for instance, Bam Bam Bigelow shared was they were the first kind of like big men who started to do, you know, little man wrestling. So they were lots of flips and, you know, theatrics. Uh, Adrian Adonis was, uh, you guys, when you watch his matches, um, if you go back and watch anything with him and Jesse Ventura in the AWA against, uh, that's Greg Ganya and Jim Brunzel. Um, if you watch them against those guys, uh, you know, those matches were absolutely phenomenal. And Adrian really was a, a, a great, not only great storyteller, but he played the bully so well, but it was the, 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 the chicken shit bully, the bully who would be a bully, but then all of a sudden would just have to resort to nefarious means to get through. I mean, and there is, there's, there's the, the beat down bullies, but then there's this bully who just kind of like slinks around and then, you know, and, and, and yet I, I really, you know, boy, his ability to a lot baby faces shine was, was phenomenal. And the, the last thing I think about, well, the other woven piece is the drug use, right? I mean, hearing stories of them just pounding cocaine and doing all of this stuff. I mean, it was really sad. I mean, you know, there's a couple of these guys that we'll talk about that, you know, remember back in the 80s and the 90s, if you didn't wrestle, you didn't make money. And they were literally, these guys were really self-medicating with a lot of things that nobody really knew about now in this case recreational drugs in other in another case you know like in bam bam that we'll talk about later it was prescription and yet in both cases no one really knew the long-term effects of what that would do to the psyche of a human and so um and you know i it's sad it really is sad because he he um he really transcended some things about being the heel that um, that I think are still used today. Uh, and, you know, and the accident that happened, you know, that could have been anybody like literally, I mean, they, they allege that they were drinking or whatever, but it is what it is, you know, I'm not, not to condone that, but I mean, he was driving to a show, basically he and the, a group of guys. Right. And, and, and just, is really unfortunate um, how it ended and, and just kind of the legacy, unfortunately, that he left behind. The last thing I'll comment about was it another really key thing that I think Steve and I have talked a little bit about in some of the 80s recaps that we've done is just how close these guys all were. So Adrian Adonis, Bob Orton, Jim Brunzel, Greg Gagne, like guys that you look at and are like oh they must be so far apart in the world you great ganya had some amazing things to say about adrian i mean you're talking about a bad guy and a good guy right but those guys got so close and their matches you could feel that and then even when they when adrian left for the wwf you know like jim brunzel's telling the story of the dan spivey situation and here bob orton and jim brunzel you know, all these guys were so interconnected back then. Um, it, it's just not that way anymore. Guys in the WWF don't interact with the AEW guys like that. And But the fact that they did over so many different territories and associations, you guys, 
their matches, they could pick up and just have phenomenal matches anywhere and, and very interchangeable because they were all so trained in a similar fashion. Amazing. And for those of our longtime listeners, you may have already heard this, but for our newer listeners, if you're curious and want to hear more stories from Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel directly, go back and check out episode 59 of Keep the Kayfabe, where we actually sit down with them live at Crusher Fest in South Milwaukee. Uh, episode's a couple of years old, but it has not aged a day. Mm-hmm. Stories are phenomenal. Um, you really get insight into how awesome of people they just are. So definitely go back and check it out. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's for sure, Matt. Yeah, and I think it would be appropriate to go to Bam Bam Bigelow next because, yeah, yeah Adrian and Bam Bam, uh, two kind of similar-ish stories. They're both out that way, East Coast guys, heavier set. They're almost kind of like the dynamite kid of fat people, maybe. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> It's kind of amazing the things that they could pull off. And uh, their characters are very distinct. There's no blurred lines there. Uh, The man had tattoos on his head. And I don't know. I mean, when I think about these guys being on the road 300 days out of the year, I got to think maybe the Federation almost like, you know, probably were definitely okay with them doing drugs and heavily medicating themselves because, yeah, it did keep them working. And you could tell... Uh, the common thread too through a lot of these stories were when they talked to the families, like when they were home, they like just love being with their kids. Mm-hmm. Like their kids love them. And can you imagine if you had like FaceTime or, mm-hmm. you know, just basic cell phones, like when you're on drugs, you isolate yourself and they probably were using it maybe to bury some of the guilt that they have for maybe being away from their families for mm-hmm. that long. Yeah. They're providing them, but you know, it's a vicious cycle once you turn to the, you know, the drugs that they did and then you're not, you know, with the family as much and you can you can get caught up and it mm-hmm. can be very dangerous. But then again, like you said, Gary, you're, you're amongst all these buddies and you're having like the time of your life. What do you think? I mean, you don't know what to think. All you know is like when bell time is, you know, your time, you just better be ready to go and put on the show mm-hmm. to keep you know, lugging the mail for your family and bringing home the bacon. But Bam Bam was a phenomenal athlete. And I do remember watching him uh, because he was a 90s guy. And that's when I was kind of breaking in. Uh, But he does have an amazing story. He went through a lot of different federations uh, at different times. And he was brought back at very interesting times to do maybe one of the biggest or what started the celebrity matches in wrestling basically you see it a lot now at wrestlemania and other big shows but his match against lt kind of paved the way to like hey let's make this uh crossover between our business and you know a different superstardom that wrestling was not in yet and bam 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 was the guy to usher that in Mm. nobody can take that away from him right no i mean Boy, you hit it right on the head, Mike. Like that. And again, you want to just, it's perspective, right? Like the 90, he came in at the height of the Hogan period when all it, it was unbelievable. And in, in only one, in less than a year, he was gone because he was getting so much heat for being 
I mean, on the episode talks, and I've heard this story more more than one time about Andre almost Andre the Giant almost killing him in the ring because mm-hmm. he was wanting to put him in his place. And Bam Bam was like, "I got to get out of here. These guys, I'm getting too much heat." But then to think that the very next time he comes back to the WWF is at a time in the '90s when it had really started going downhill, and he turned Vince McMahon turned to Bam Bam, and that match with. Lawrence Taylor was a jump start for them. It it was some way for them to mainstream um just like Hogan and Mr. T and Roddy Piper and Cindy Lauper in the early 80s. It, he went back to the well and you know honestly the WWF has WWE has not changed their formula. They they consistently go to the well with entertainers to uh and have encouraged their own talent to be entertainers um but you're you know bam bam really did you know was was trusted by mcmahon which is a huge it was a huge thing you know and i didn't realize myself even how much he was trusted until i really saw this episode and i realized the depth of of that of that wrestlemania 11 match with lawrence taylor bam bam bigelow is one of those people who I've talked about this a lot on past episodes. I was not a WCW guy growing up, but I still knew who Bam Bam Bigelow was. You know, there's the handful of stars that regardless of whether you Mm watch WWF at the time or WCW, you know, at least a few people from the other Federation and Bam Bam Bigelow was one of them. They Mm -hmm. talked on this episode a little bit too about some of the guys he worked with. It just like the who's who of wrestling, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, just super cool. And, you know, we talked too a little bit about how he, he wrestled like a little guy. He was one of the first big guys who wrestled like a little guy. And that's what drew my attention to him. Because as, you know, like a what, 12 to 14 year old kid. I mean, I just ate that stuff up. And even as an adult, I still kind of do. Mm-hmm. But Bam Bam Bigelow, man, one of the greats. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, in the, in that angle that he did with Taz and ECW with the, the busting of the ring. What a great story. Like, I mean, Taz was Taz was really brilliant in terms of the way he kind of talked about Bam Bam and reflected upon that angle. And the fact that they go into the ring, the place erupts, and the first thing that happens is Bam Bam, you know, turns to Taz while they're down there. And he's like, are you okay? Like, yeah. just thinking about that is just like, again you see these guys wrestling right and you think to yourself you get lost in the suspense of this guy's kicking this guy's ass or he's trying to beat him up but the reality is they're in there together and they're there to keep each other safe and do this mm-hmm. story right and yeah cool i don't know if you guys remember that or or even just no that was my favorite part of the episode yeah. actually was when taz did go to that story and was so candid about it because if you do, if you've seen that spot or or followed ECW, that was like that's that's kind of like on the Rushmore of moments in ECW. I gotta think, mm-hmm. and um, and they really did like pull back the curtain about like okay, when your hands on the rope and you and it reaches this piece of tape, this little piece of tape that yeah. is literally dictates you're living or dead. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Like, okay, then flip me. So the fact that we got such inside information yeah. to that is pretty awesome. It's it's um that was probably the 
thing that I enjoyed the most. And thanks for Dark Side of the Ring for keeping that in the episode because I thoroughly enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And again, you're you're Mike, you alluded to this with Adrian, but I mean, just the the anguish of their kids and and just losing their dad at 45, despite all the the you know, his last few years of real, real brokenness, like there was there was a sad story in there of 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 two of three kids who lost a dad that really loved them. And even a wife who I think, you know, she, she threw it, she threw down the gauntlet to him and necessarily, but she really cared about him. And, and, you know, and so did Adrian Adonis's wife. I mean, mm-hmm. adored him. I mean, she was still to this day, like she, you could just see how much she loved him. And, and it was, it really, you know, these two guys, kind of share that family part that that was a little hard to it, it was hard to listen to because you you just empathize with them mm-hmm. yeah they're doing it for the family but sometimes they get hurt the most too so it's like mm-hmm. it's a double-edged sword you're you're, yeah. you're you gotta fulfill this character and like you're the entrepreneur that's committing to this character to reach this stardom that, you know, have these huge paychecks and we'll talk about it with this next wrestler. Um, but like, there's some suffering out of like mm-hmm. something always has to give no matter where you put yourself with your time and the things you accomplish somewhere else, something else important suffers. And that's, what's really hard. I mean, that's just a part of life, you know, for everybody, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it is very sad. And that other wrestler that I was telling you about the one that got these huge paychecks was the JYD junkyard mm-hmm. dog. He was getting, I don't know. What was it like? $10,000 a week or something like that back in the eighties or seventies. I mean, if, uh, if Greg Valentine was making 20 grand cash a week, I mean, JYD had to be pulling in and as much or more than, uh, than our <laughs> friend, um, George Hamilton, George, George, Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton Valentine. <laughs> Shout Hamilton. out to Greg, friend of the channel. <laughs> Love you, Greg. Yeah. So the JYD, basically the the Black Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was was that Crockett's promotion that he was wrestling in. Um, uh, he was actually uh in Louisiana, which was the mid south, which was Bill Watts. So Bill Watts. Oh my bad. The, yeah, Bill Watts was the one who um basically. 8081 JYD was voted the most popular athlete in New Orleans and and to to imagine that again you're talking about a completely different you know generation of where women black athletes you know people of color any type of diversity was really not in the vocabulary of us back in that time you know, Bill Watts broke the color barrier and and he's famously always quoted as the only color I see is green. And mm-hmm. and he meant it with JYD. I mean, JYD, think about this, you guys. In um he he filled, filled in the main event, the Superdome in the main event. And then it was only years later that he was in WrestleMania three in Detroit, but he himself was the main event that filled the Superdome prior to that. And that is a crazy accomplishment. 
for that's amazing and so so how is it that that is unheard of because especially so at the time of this recording i know and we kind of alluded to it earlier all in is coming up which is going to be at wembley stadium in london and that is currently slated to be potentially the biggest wrestling event of all Mm. time in terms of attendance True. So you think about WrestleMania three is in that top three or four spot. I mean, the Superdome is not a small venue. So how is it that JYD selling out the Superdome isn't more of a thing? Well, I, I mean, I would be the, I'd be the first one to tell you it, it should be more of a thing, <laughs> especially given the circumstances. Now, again, the one thing I would tell you is back in the eighties, they, so they the AWA would run shows in the Metrodome, Mid South would run shows down in the um, in the Superdome. I don't believe they were all set up for full capacity because you know there was it wasn't the same kind of setup. So, but even thirty or forty thousand people that were there, I mean that's that was those were crazy numbers. Like and and the gates were are were off the charts for those periods of time. And so, you know, I, to think about this too, you guys, the, we know we've all heard who dat, who dat, who dat, right. And to think that was started with JYD, like mm-hmm. people were chanting, you know, who dat going to beat the dog, who dat, who dat, who dat. Mm-hmm. And that's, and now today who dat is like for the saints. And it's like, well, that started with JYD. Uh, that's he was something, you know. Now he again sat. Now he's a little bit more of a sadder story on the family side, I think. You know, with um, with kind of some of the things that went on with him, but but I, you know, the the heat that he was, you know, the the Ted the you know again inter intertwining guys, right? Like Ted DiBiase, that whole. And I think we've talked about this again in the 80s episode, so I don't want to rehash all of that. Please go back and listen to that because Steve and I did did a deep dive on this. Um, but, you know, DiBiase was an ultimate babyface, decided to become a heel. And then, I mean, it was just epic, his collision with JYD. And then his feud with Michael Hayes, you guys, was, I mean, you know, Michael Hayes was... A, you want to talk about a magnet for heat, both with JYD in this territory, the Von Erics. I mean, he, that was literally guns were in the arena. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the amount of money they were generating. Um, but again, like, you know, sadly, this was oil money. And when the oil money liter- literally and figuratively ran dry, then the territory started fading and, you know, the the part that I really was a little frustrated about was just hearing with the amount of money JY. So I, I don't know, maybe you guys are different than I am in this respect, but I, I know ego plays a role in a lot of things, but JYD was basically Hogan's second. You know, like when it came to baby faces in the WWF in the mid 80s, it was Hogan and JYD. And for whatever reason, that wasn't satisfying enough for JYD. And that is a part that really, and I get it. Like, I think we could go back and look, I mean, how many decades later it was until the very first black, you know, WWF champion. We could probably, 
you know, surmise that there may be some issues with that with Vince McMahon. But in the end, like he was paying him a lot of money and yet it wasn't enough. And I just wonder to myself, like, gosh, I, I don't know about you guys, but to be the second and every once in a while tag team with the best and get paid a crap ton of money every week. Oh, it doesn't sound like a bad gig. I mean, if he's single-handedly selling out, well, I, to your point, I don't know how the Superdome was arranged, but if he is selling it out, I, I have to imagine in time, you get a little bit of an ego when you're at that level yeah. and then coming into WWF. So I can kind of understand it. Me, years later, as an outsider looking in, I, I mean, I'd be thrilled just to be able to talk to these guys, <laughs> let alone get in the ring right. with them. So I, yeah, I can totally understand both sides of it, though. Yeah. But he... He he did not get cheated. I can tell you that. I mean, he wasn't cheated in terms of partying and women and and drug use and all of that stuff. I mean, but just thinking about how many of these guys are were broke because they they literally they got paid in cash. They just spent it and they thought it was mm-hmm. never going to end. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we'll talk about another one in a little bit that's you know in deep legal trouble and financial trouble that again like these are guys that had thousands of dollars a week coming in that would blow people's minds in at in the 80s and mm-hmm. you know the i couldn't even imagine and yet they're penniless yeah food was cheap back then i no mean a thousand dollars you could eat you know, for six months on that back in the eighties, mm-hmm. I would say thousand dollars a week, but they were making like twenty thousand dollars a week. So yeah, very sad story about the JYD. Uh, and the other wrestler that Gary is probably mentioning is Abdullah the Butcher. He's in some pretty major legal trouble because him and what was the wrestler's name that is suing him? Uh, Devin the Hannibal Nicholson, who himself is no um is no angel because he he also is um nicholson has been in legal trouble himself over the issues of the of uh the issue with the ref that was stabbed and then he he's been himself kicked out of wwe shows for being belligerent and just recently in 2022 was um cited for an assault on a female and so i mean the whole thing's you know and it's kind of like i don't know the bad guy fought, trying to get after another bad guy kind of things oh, hustlers hustling hustlers well he probably went on uh vice to probably get a paycheck to probably pay some legal fees i would 100%. say so yeah, yeah it, he's it's a pretty big piece of shit yeah, yeah i would not i'm not i think it was pretty clear from watching the episode that abdullah was a the consummate hustler, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the dude started peddling candy in second grade, right? <laughs> but and, teaching old people Tai Chi when he didn't right. know Tai Chi, right? Fucking hilarious. I, mean, like, I respected it, that. It was, it, you know, like I mean, but again, like you know, so the the thing about this story, you guys, that really has me baffling a little bit is just is the amount of bloodshed we see currently in AEW and just wondering to our, to myself, like, I know that they're testing each other and going through all of that stuff, 
but it is kind of, I don't know. There's just something in the back of my mind that just says like, you think Moxley's ever going to have an issue like this, you know, because the dude blades all the time. And I get that maybe, you know, back in 20, you know, 2007, when they were using a blade on each other, Mm -hmm. I mean, complete no, no. Yes. But in the same token, like the amount, these guys that are like literally wiping blood from a guy uh, and licking it, like you got to think to yourself, like, gosh, is somebody's who's next in this regard, right? I, I was going to say the exact same thing because I know Gary, like a, a while back, I want to say, you know, Abdullah the Butcher came up on a recent episode when we were mm-hmm. talking, and you had mentioned this, and we had this, kind of the same conversation. I, it, it's interesting because paying attention to AEW, I mean, we recently saw Blood and Guts, I think ever since you, you know, brought this up. And even then there wasn't really a ton of blood, which is kind of counterintuitive to the name of the match. Um, with the exception of John Moxley, of course, because the guy just can't help himself. But yeah, yeah. but beyond him, it that is a good point. Like, did it slow down because of this show? I mean, if so, that's interesting that this show could be making an impact on the industry, maybe for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it's it'd be cool to think that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I don't, you know, I would... I would love to think there's some correlation there, but in the same token, you know, I just, I I think to myself, like, I guarantee this can't be the last time now. Now, again, we've, you know, technology is advanced. Medical things have advanced. I guarantee Abdullah the butcher never got tested for hepatitis C. There's no way. Like, I mean, that just wasn't, it wasn't something that you did in the eighties and nineties and two thousands. I mean, you probably never went to the the doctor, you know, and, but in the same token, I mean, the dude ate raw livers and chickens. I mean, it's just crazy to think about the stuff that that guy did. And not surprisingly, you know, here we have this incident with hep C and um, I'm not, I, I personally don't buy some of the stuff about how he can't read, you know, Mick Foley makes the comment like, well, I seem to read a menu pretty good. Right. Like, so, and you know, and that, that was sly enough for me to be like, okay, the dude's a hustler, right? Like, and he's always been a hustler and he's the hustler of hustlers and he willfully ignored all of this, but I, you know, I just, I do worry to some extent about, with AEW and in the fact that for them as a group as a whole, I feel like blood has become something that is not as special anymore. And then again, like you go to the WWE and you think to yourself, what a joke, like these guys are bashing their heads in against a steel cage. And you're telling me nobody's busted open. Like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) Is this a weird extreme of kind of what we're seeing? That is true. But yeah, he was sad about Abdullah the Butcher, though. I hate to see um, him living in poverty after the yeah uh, worldwide superstardom that he's had, and especially being so business savvy, starting a business basically when he was in second grade, yeah. which is just like crazy to think. Yeah. I mean, he grew up dirt poor. 
his brothers mm-hmm. and sisters like had some pretty amazing stories the way that they, they were brought up and grew up and i think one of them slept in the bathtub on some cushions <laughs> and yep. only got out of the bathtub when his mom went in there to go to the bathroom respectfully mm-hmm. but imagine growing up and you're um you know you're trying to sleep and then your dad's just taking his morning shit before he works his three jobs for 20 hours so it shouldn't be laughing different way of living yeah yeah super sad it is and it was in canada too right no you grew up in ontario no sudan yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes no yes uh he was in canada and um you know thinking back to uh and in you know, this was something also that both um, that he shared with Bam Bam, which was this, you know, this real appeal at, in the 80s for huge American wrestling, like huge being physically huge American wrestlers. Right. And he made I mean, he was in video games and, you know, television shows and all of that in Japan. I mean, just mm-hmm. had to be making a lot of money and royalties that no one ever really paid attention to back then. But, you know, he was a novelty act. He, he just went from place to place and literally blew the place up and, and, and then went on to the next place. And, um, and, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that the way wrestling is today that, you know, we really don't see that kind of crossover, uh, you know, they're really, as much as we may talk about a forbidden door, it's more forbidden than a door. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, Abdullah was the ultimate hustler and everything out of his mouth, you know, was kind of a game and a pitch. Well, nobody is more like that nowadays than Marty Jannetty. All I had to hear when his girlfriend said pretty much everything coming out of Marty's (laughs) mouth is bullshit. And nobody knows that better than Matt Michelson, the man who actually talked to him in person most recently. I mean, yeah. when Matt, did, did you, when you watched this episode, did you have some flashbacks to Crusher Fest? Jesus H. Christ. Yeah, this was. Uh... <laughs> so so for our listeners, first and foremost, um, if you're newer to the podcast, go back and give episode 129 a listen. We were fortunate enough as of late to interview the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Greg the Hammer Valentine, longtime friend of the show. Greg, if you're listening, what's up? Hope you're doing well. And Marty freaking Janetti, all in the same half hour, right? So you got to give it a listen, though. Um, if you like Dark Side of the Ring, you'll you'll love this episode. Um, but Mike, to answer your question, so watching Dark Side of the Ring, I mean, it was the weirdest, most like surreal thing when they first showed Marty sitting in that chair in that dark room talking because. I'm thinking to myself, like, wait, how how did this happen? Like, it's just strange. It's like seeing someone you know on TV, right? Um, not that Marty and I are tight by any means, believe me. <laughs> but so thinking about this a little bit, yeah, I would say pretty much everything out of, comes out of his mouth being complete crap, right? I, when we were talking to Marty at Crusher Fest, it was very clear that that was the case because you've been around the block long enough. You start to pick up on bullshit pretty easily and it didn't take long to pick up on it. I think when I was talking to him, Mm -hmm. Um, what you hear on episode 129 of this show is the, I will say more curated stuff that (laughs) 
probably could have been true, you know? Um, there was a lot more that was definitely cut out of the show, mostly because it kind of jumped around a lot and didn't really seem to make much of any sense. Um, and that's when, you know, when Marty's friend was talking about how everything that comes out of his mouth is probably bullshit. Like, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear it from somebody else too. And what really got me to laugh a little bit. So Al Snow is also in this episode mm. of Dark Side of the Ring, and he talks quite a bit. He was part of the new Rockers with Marty for some time. So he has experience working with Marty and as a friend of Marty's. When we interviewed Marty at Crusher Fest, we got to interview him, Ted DiBiase, Greg the Hammer Valentine. We did not have the opportunity to interview Al Snow or Cowboy Bob Orton, who were also at Crusher Fest. Mm. So it was really interesting for me to hear some of the comments Al Snow made on this episode of Dark Side of the Ring. And knowing that he was at Crusher Fest with Marty, and it just it's a weird dynamic, man. Because mm. um, Al does mention on Dark Side of the Ring how you know he loves Marty and stuff. And like I believe he does. I mean, he's known the guy forever. Um, and how can you not feel bad for him, right? Like they showed Marty's ankle and just you know some of the physical ailments he's got did he did he look like that to you live like i wasn't there oh Um, yeah yeah Yeah. so so physically marty he's been through a lot um i will give him that when we were setting up to record that episode i think greg and ted were at the table and then um we were trying to get a hold and figure out where marty was at and he was still a couple minutes away and when he came over he was actually on crutches Mm. um and i it was really strange though because like he he could stand and he could walk but he was on two crutches and like his leg was kind of like just kind of hanging there almost it was kind of kind of disturbing to look at um but it comes and goes and i think that's what we learned on dark side of the ring too like these injuries are you know sometimes that that ankle his just goes bad and it's so strange and i didn't really understand it at the time i still don't think i do but it's interesting to see and i'm kind of glad they shed a little bit of a light on that um, mm-hmm. one thing that I did get a kick out of, I'll, I'll share one more story. Dark side of the ring talked to Marty and he's talking about his girlfriends in every city. And he told a story about this girl in St. Louis and he's like, well, you know, that was St. Louis and he kind of chuckles mm-hmm. and then it cuts to the next scene. If you go back and listen to our interview with Marty, he tells a very similar story, uh, about a lady named Jeannie who lived here in the Milwaukee area and ran a. Well, she didn't run anything. She had a house, but the wrestlers and Marty would refer to it as the genie Inn. And that story has so many odd parallels with the story he tells on dark side of the ring. Um, yeah, I can't stress it enough. If you haven't listened to the episode, go back and check it out. You, you'll get a real kick out of it. it you and know, I, I was, I was really struck by the polarizing effect that Marty Jannetty had on me from that went from, I can't believe what happened to him to, but you won't take any accountability for anything that happened to how, you know, Oh my gosh, you know, I got, I feel sorry for this dude to this dude did. He deserves everything. I mean, I, I can't, I honestly, I walked away not sure really what to say because he he did have a black cloud. I mean, there was just stuff that just happened to him in a way that it just did seem unfair. 
But then every time you thought that, either somebody or something else happened where you're like, dude, you brought that on yourself. Like you just you were being a douche, you know, and then all of a sudden this happens. Right. So I don't know. Did you get that sense too, Matt, from just kind of listening to him or seeing the episode? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, that seems to be the recurring theme with a lot of the stories that get told on this episode. Um, one thing I'll share with the listeners of the show. Well, two things. One, we prior to recording, Gary was kind enough to kind of go through and put together some bullet points for us to talk about. So a little bit behind the curtain. Um, you know, if you want to watch this episode, the best way we can describe it is I'll just read Gary's notes. Now, for Abdullah the Butcher, Gary has a good half half a page of handwritten notes, right? Uh, Marty has a corner of a page and it says, shit show of all shit shows in all caps with an exclamation mark. I, that is the perfect summary of this episode. So I will say that. Um, the last thing I'll mention, the final story they tell in the episode about did marty really kill a guy when he was young and just hypothetically how would you have done it and he goes into such excruciating detail to the point where he's and and he's even admitting it but then he's like oh right hypothetically like that like that kind of makes it okay if he says that after the fact it's just very strange i i think most people who watch this would think yeah something happened there for sure um, what exactly it was, I don't know. I just thought it was weird that somebody said, yeah, Marty told me this story back in the 90s or whenever it happened or something like that. And now it was like brought to light 15 years later or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think the guy, I mean, when you're doing crack and meth and, yeah. you know, you're angry that you're not the star that Shawn Michaels was and you got a picture of Shawn on a dartboard and you're trying to, you know, take like doing crazy shit, young and angry, and especially a big bullshitter like him. I don't know. Crazy stuff like that. It doesn't put it past me how detailed it was mm-hmm. that he might have, you know, it's like, well, I, I, I told I told the story like this, but then how it actually happened, he's also told, too. So I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of crazy because when you are a liar, you're constantly covering up a lie with another lie. And then you get mm-hmm. all turned around and you don't know even what the story is anymore. All you know is, you know, something happened. But and then and then truth becomes the lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and and I mean, I, I, you know, the other I go back to what I said with J, JYD too. I, I know hindsight is always much better than where where you're at. But can you imagine if he had just been a halfway decent dude? Like he probably would have made a lot of money for a long time, being a pretty good hand, just kind of doing his thing. But, you know, again, you're right. You know, I know, I mean, Matt, you said it, the ego, right. And professional athletes, ego, all of that stuff. But, you know, in, in both those cases, now, now, compare J- where JYD and Marty Jannetty are on the ego spectrum to what you heard during the Bam Bam episode, which was at the end of Bam Bam's career, his kids said, basically, he's the greatest loser. He said, if I can get paid to lose, he's like, I'm going to keep wrestling. And he did. Like, at the end of his career, he was like, I don't care about this. I just, I'm just going to, I'm going to take advantage of my name and I'm going to go make these guys look good and I'm going to make money. I'm going to come home. 
And so, you know, it's possible, you know, right? Like there are guys where it's possible that you could be in these other secondary roles and just know your place. But I mean, gosh, you know, if he had just been a halfway decent dude, I bet you he'd had an amazing career. Totally. I don't know. Maybe Shawn Michaels was the best thing that ever happened to Marty Jannetty, or he could have been the worst thing because I, I always say Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of all time Mm -hmm. because of the, he was just undeniable and those are hard shoes to fill. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, Shawn's going to go do a solo thing. And Marty, you were part of the same thing. If you were significant in this team, then you got to do something like Sean. But nobody could be like Sean because Sean was that prick. He was that guy in the room, kind of like Lex Luger had that, like, fuck you. I know I'm better than you Mm -hmm. or the MJF. Like, I'm better than you and even you know it. Like, Sean just had that attitude and he was that guy. And Marty, I think when they talked about his early life, like he was just a really good dude, but he was a phenomenal athlete as Mm -hmm. well. It would be kind of crazy to think what Marty Jannetty's life would be if he wasn't paired up with Sean and maybe just got with somebody else or just was a solo. Who knows? Because Sean was that pretty boy. I found it crazy that women were waiting outside their hotel room in line to bang these dudes. So when these dudes were done with one someone else was like okay my turn and go in Um, there and like i don't know i mean that's really hard to believe the the rock the rock and roll express have the same stories the free words have crazy stories i get it rick flair we think about rick flair i mean we just talked about well we just talked about how hepatitis c isn't so much a thing (laughs) currently right now i just don't think wrestlers are having as much sex anymore because of twitch and these video games and twitter they're like you know concerned about that i mean the entertainment on the road was trying to get as much puss as you possibly can get in all different areas at all hours of the night when you're you know ripping just mounds of cocaine i mean it's crazy so yeah if if marty wasn't paired up with sean I would I I know his life would not be what it was today. I'm pretty confident when I say mm-hmm. that. I don't which know. Is, which is kind of sad. I mean, it right. really I mean I I don't the story of two good friends having to go separate ways and, and whether it's done the right way or, you know, in <laughs> um the in the wrong way, you know, I, it's a it's a story as old as time, right? Like Cain and Abel and all of the other. I mean, you, know, you just go down the road, right? I mean, and and yet in the same token, you know, like was Shawn Michaels was Shawn Michaels probably stabbing Marty Jannetty in the back? Yeah, and you know, oh, yeah, a, a lot of people do because- even today in the business world, and they do on your teams, and they do, you know, if 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 a human thinks they can get ahead by placing you down it it's not uncommon but the way that Janetti handled that and and the way that he you know he, he just the the sheer lack of um ability to handle that adversity is just it was telling and and the fact that even today he doesn't want to take accountability for it that's where i struggle being like wow i really feel sorry for this dude I think uh, it was totally Sean's idea to split him up. I bet Sean went to oh, Vince yeah. and said, like, okay, I need to get away from this guy 
because when Marty was like pitched with the idea of them getting split up, he's like, well, me and Sean got to talk about this. And Sean's like, I'm good. See <laughs> yeah. you later. Like there was, there was no discussion. No. It was happening. Yeah. Sean definitely kind of stabbed him in the back, but at the same time when, you know, they alluded to that, I can't really blame him. I mean, no. if Marty was mm-hmm. as far off the rails as it seems like he was at that time, I probably would have yeah. done the same thing as Sean. Mm-hmm. Marty was probably just deflecting some of the women from Sean because they probably all wanted him. And then Marty was actually reaping all the residuals uh, from Sean. So he's probably like, I got to, you know, I got to handle some of this, deflect some of the water over here. <laughs> so. Yeah, Marty ran some interference for Shawnee Boy. Fuck, man, I just, I just, it blows my mind. Just the the different life uh, during that time to compared to now. So I mean, every stuff, every one of the people we've talked. I mean, we didn't get much into Abdullah's. They didn't get much into his off state, uh, off you know, life. But JYD, uh, Adrian Adonis, Bam Bam, Marty. I mean. Every one of them, it was women, it was drugs, it was, I mean, it is insane. Like, just uh, maybe not so much with Bam Bam in terms of the women. I think he was, you know, he was pretty faithful with his wife, but just the drug use and the the partying and, and it's like, wow, like, there was no uh, working out. And <laughs> it, just, it, was, <laughs> it was like, oh, I'm just getting from one place to the next and you know, things just caught up with them, all of them. Yeah, quite the time to be alive, that's for sure. Uh, It's been a while since we did a promo of the week, and, I mean, that was probably the biggest breakup, you know, of my day uh, being alive as far as turns on tag teams being broken up is when Shawn Michaels threw Marty Jannetty through the plate glass window Mm -hmm. at Brutus the Barber Beefcake's Barbershop, right? You're dead on, and I can't can't wait uh, to... you know, when you think about th- that angle, uh, it's it's brewing with MJF, and I can't wait to see the MJF Adam Cole potential. I don't know if they're going to go through a barbershop wall, but uh, or window, but I mean, like again, story as old as time as these these partners that come together and then blow up. Uh, but yeah, what a great that was a great promo, and that was a it, it was a great moment. And for a lot of our listeners, I don't even know what half these promos are until I hear them on the spot. <laughs> but this one, I remember it like it was yesterday when I was yep. seven years old. All right. Without further ado, let's get to that monumental moment. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn my back to you right now. And if you want to go on your own, then walk off and leave. If you want to stick together and make this thing work, when I turn around, we're going to shake hands and we're going to go on a rock and roll like the rockers can do. They need each other. You know that. Sounds fair to me. He's not going to walk away. They need each other. Specialist. See, one without the other isn't any good. Oh, oh, I knew 
was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Janetti. I told you that off and on. Are you kidding? What a despicable act that was. No! Oh, my God. Right through the glass window of the barbershop. Janetti tried to dive through the window to escape. Did you see that? Are you blind? What an act of cowardice. Oh, he's hurt. A plate glass window. Oh, look at that. He's busting wide open. We need a paramedic here. Is there a problem? They're done. They're finished, Monsoon. Yeah, there's a problem with you, Sean. Rockers so. are history. One week away. Is he going to be ready for the Royal Rumble? He look look at that. Done. Bleeding profusely. Looks redder than her nails. Was uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake's barbershop even really, like, popular? Like, it wasn't even... I mean, everybody remembers Piper's Pit and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But his... Do you remember that lasting long, Gary? I, I mean, mean, I was... It went through... There were a lot of things they tried. They tried um, They tried the barbershop. They tried the flower shop with Adrian Adonis. I mean, uh even in, you know, and you guys might not necessarily remember this name, but Missy Hyatt came in and tried with Eddie Gilbert, uh, who were huge territory uh, wrestlers. They even came in and tried to do a segment show. And then eventually, you know, I think a lot of it just kind of faded away and then got, I think it got a little bit of a kickstart then with the Brother Love show um, when he came back. I think that there was a good kickstart, but yeah, I'm like, it was just kind of a, after Piper, it was really downhill in terms of those segments. And I just don't think it ever really garnered the same steam that that Piper was able to. Yeah, well, if it's remembered for anything, it was that moment right there. So it, there no they'll always have a little piece of that history. And how about Brutus's uh, as girlfriend wife now? Like, you know, mm -hmm. she was, uh, she, she was definitely... Um, well, let's just say um, showing a lot of flesh during the uh, <laughs> during the interview. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of it's just kind of reminded me of something. I don't know, Matt, did it remind you of anything? Uh, I, not specifically, but I think I might know where you're going with this. Uh, Mike, do you have an idea what Gary's talking about? Probably, <laughs> because if you're going to make monumental moments, and uh you know wheel girls like brutus's girl you gotta keep it three things at all times this is great oh. advice yeah what and what are those three things you want to stay humble stay hungry and stay hard <laughs> triple h Woo!